Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, we got more team previews to do, but we're not team previewing anybody tonight. We are not, Joey. No, we got ourselves a little interlude episode. Um, Mike, we got a couple of newsy items that have kind of dropped as we've been doing this whole team preview series that we need to hit on. We've got a couple of kind of uh, listener questions that we need to address while we're on here. Um, and so let's just jump right into that. Uh, I thought it was really awkward going back and listening to our Virginia Tech preview because there were kind of two key pieces of information that we have now that we did not have at the time that we were recording it, which oh yeah, such is the uh, such is the nature of you know pre-recorded audio. Um, which one do you want to start with? Uh, let's start with Bud. Bud. Yeah, so uh, just kind of small news coming out of Blacksburg, I think it was late last week. Bud Foster, who's been the defensive coordinator in Blacksburg for like almost the entirety of both of our lives, announced that this will be his last season. Um, he, he will be stepping down. He's going to be sticking around the Virginia Tech athletic department. He's going to be reporting directly to the athletic director in a kind of a special capacity. But this is going to be the end of an era for Bud Foster in the lunch pail defense there. Uh, it's, it's been a thing, again, as long as – as long as I can remember, um, and, and certainly as a lot of probably a lot of Hokies fans can remember, um, very much the the end of an era and, and really what will be uh, the end of an establishment up there in Blacksburg. I was trying to think of a year where Bud Foster had a quote unquote bad defense, and it took until what last year. I mean, there were mm-hmm. some questionable defenses throughout his tenure, as is the case when you're the defensive coordinator for like thirty years. Uh, but you can count on less than one hand the amount of bad defenses he's had. And even bad is a relative term. I, I think last year was the first time you looked at a defense coached by Bud Foster and said, wow, that defense is actually really bad. Um, that's really hasn't been said about any defense that he's coached in his entire time in Blacksburg, which is really just astonishing. It speaks to a career that he's had at Virginia Tech as a defensive coordinator. Spanning, of course, the entirety, well, almost the entirety of Frank Beamer, uh, Frank Beamer era in Blacksburg. And now uh, through the first three going on four years of Justin Fuente, uh, Bud Foster has been the mainstay. And in many ways, he was the bridge between two eras, right? The era of Frank Beamer and now the era of Justin Fuente, which is entering year four. So this guy means a lot to the Virginia Tech community and the Virginia Tech program. Um he interviewed for the head coaching job when Frank Beamer uh, retired a couple of years ago. And uh, he was a guy who was considered for the job, but what Babcock had a tough discussion with Bud Foster and said, Hey, my guy's Justin Fuente, but we still want you to stick around. And it took a lot of, uh, it took a lot of will, a lot of courage, a lot of humility uh, for Bud Foster to stick around as the defensive coordinator for an entirely new administration there at Virginia Tech, an entirely new coaching staff. But he was the one guy who stuck around, and that 
speaks to Bud Foster and what he's about. Um, so it's it's an end of an era in Blacksburg after this season. I think the Hokies are hoping to send him out with a bang and have a really successful season. Uh, there are a lot of questions in the Coastal. It's certainly theirs for the taking if they want to be with the questions of the teams throughout the division. So uh, it's an opportunity for Bud Foster to, to go out on a high note after a really poor 2018 showing from his defense. But overall, um, I think it just is it's the true ending of an era in Blacksburg. And I think that's the biggest the biggest thing to take away here. I, I think there's a big question here around can't, can he and his defense recover from last year, which was a mess, but large, a lot of that ends up being injury-driven that then res- relates to a lot of young players on the field that are probably a little bit too early to, you know, before they're really ready. To me, Mike, I think the more fascinating thing here is that we've, we've talked a little bit on here and on, on the Virginia Tech preview that there's, there's a little bit of uncertainty in the future of Justin Fuente at this point. You know, it's, there's kind of some mixed opinions maybe, and it's, it's hard to say whether we really feel like this is going in the right direction or not. And I think this is kind of a big season that will tell us a lot about that. And so not only do you have that all, all coming in, but now this extra layer of Bud Foster's leaving, there's another layer of, well, do, you know, who would Justin Fuente go to get to replace him? Is it a promotion from within? Does he go hire someone externally? Or, you know, absolute worst case, let's say something crazy happens at Virginia Tech Craters this year and they get rid of Justin Fuente, maybe the whole staff is gone all to begin, you know, all 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 at the same time, right? I I don't know. I I think this is a very interesting kind of thing, subplot to follow here as uh, we make our way towards the, uh, you know, the end of Bud Foster's tenure at, at Virginia Tech. And it ties to Justin Fuente, as we mentioned, you know, he was, the, you know, Bud Foster, the bridge between two eras. And now you have Justin Fuente struggling to find his footing, has a really successful first couple of years. Now the last two haven't been so good. And now you're sitting here wondering what it what it's going to look like here. Um, it, it was, I guess, the back half of year two and, you know, all of year three really last year were, you know, pretty bad for Virginia Tech. And now you're heading into year four with a lot of uncertainty and a lot of teams in the division have uncertainty. But now Virginia Tech knows that this is the last year with a defensive coordinator that's been a mainstay for quite some time. And what does it look like for Virginia Tech on the defensive side of the football moving forward when Bud Foster is no longer in the fold? I think that's what people are most interested in both throughout this season and then heading into next season when they actually have to make that decision. And speaking of uncertainty, Mike, and, and uncertainty surrounding Justin Fuente, one of the things I've seen uh, some Virginia Tech people say on Twitter is that there's some concerns or some uh, lack of comfort, we'll say, around him and his staff's ability to recruit, and in particular the high-end talent, and can they consistently do that? I I am not here to pass judgment one way or the other, whether they can, whether they can't. What I'm more uh, wanting to kind of use that as a bridge to to transition is um, we mentioned on the Virginia Tech Preview podcast that there was a pretty major transfer potential guy out there. Um, and at the time, we did not have a final verdict on where he was going to go, but they said it was going to be between Virginia Tech and South Carolina. And as it turns out, my Clemson running back, Tavian Feaster, picked South Carolina, which I'm sure sat really well with a lot of Clemson fans. But I. There was, there was still some more chatter from the Virginia Tech end of things saying, well, you know, he didn't recruit the guy very well. He's, he, you know, this staff doesn't recruit at all, blah, 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 blah. Especially at a position that's kind of of concern this year and how do you get production out of the run game. That, that doesn't help. It doesn't help. And this is something we've talked about for quite some time for Virginia Tech around the running back position. They were in the running for 
a couple of pretty big running backs. Uh, Devin Ford, of course, was a guy who they recruited pretty hard. He headed to Penn State, and Virginia Tech's got a lot of guys who they've really pushed for, and Norm Wood talked about that on our Virginia Tech podcast, and they've really been unsuccessful uh, in the running back room now uh, throughout the entirety of the Justin Fuente era, and you know, Fuente has made a point to say in a lot of his press conferences that he doesn't really care about who carries the ball as long as he picks up the yards, which in my mind means he doesn't really want a bell cow back. He doesn't need one. He just needs a running game that kind of offsets a pass heavy offense, which, you know, if you're a premier running back and Tavian Feaster is certainly one of them, um, a guy who was obviously very talented coming out of high school, blue chip recruit that chose Clemson and Obviously, a lot of talent there in that running back room kind of falls out of the fold a little bit. Now, the full time rotation is kind of used in, in bits and pieces and fits and starts throughout the year last year. And he's looking for a spot where he wants to be a premier back. All of a sudden, he hears Justin Quente say, yeah, I don't really care who carries the ball um, as long as we pick up some yards here and there. As a running back, you're not going to want to go play for that program. Right. And that's been a criticism I've had of Justin Quente and the coaching staff is that. They don't really emphasize running the football. And I'm not, I'm not even talking about in the game plan sense. I'm talking about more of even in the media. They're like, yeah, we don't really care as long as we get the yards. Like, however we can get the yards, we'll pick them up. As a running back, you're not going to want to go play for that coach. So for fans to go out and say, okay, Justin Fuente this, Justin Fuente that, the coaching staff didn't push hard enough. I don't think that was it at all. I'm sure they recruited him very hard and really wanted him to be a part of the offense. But I think as a running back you look at a situation at Virginia Tech and you say look they haven't had a successful running game in quite some time schematically right and then you have coaches basically underscoring the fact that they don't really care how running backs are used it's just not going to be an attractive spot I think it's South Carolina obviously is, is a little bit more attractive from the standpoint of okay it's Clemson's rival and if that's going to be my second choice then let's go there and Again, we don't really know for a lot of these guys being recruited what's important to them, right? So Tavian Feaster the entire time could have said, okay, well, I fell out of the rotation at Clemson. Let's let's stick it to him and go to their rival, right? And that could have been the entire motivation. I'm going to stay in state. I'm going to stick it to the rival. We really don't know, and that might just be spin zone. But Virginia Tech, you know, for better or worse, they swing and miss on Tavian Feaster, who could have definitely been a difference maker in the offense this year. And that's something that the staff's going to receive criticism for because it looked like for quite some time that Virginia Tech was at least the favorite at the clubhouse or at least considered to be the favorite. Tavian Feaster, by the way, Mike, played high school football in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Oh, yeah. Which, which is like 30 minutes from Clemson or something like that. So, I mean, at the very least, yeah, Columbia then being a few hours away, like it's not just a hop, skip and a jump, but it's also way closer than Blacksburg is, way easier right. to get to for family and all that. So, Plenty of motivation to stay in state, especially, yeah, if he felt like he was a little bit slighted by the Clemson program and uh, wanted to really prove himself and have, has that chip on his shoulder, you know. So there's plenty that, that could be and likely is at play there. I, I don't think this is the end-all, be-all indicator of can Justin Fuente's staff recruit effectively and, and that kind of thing. I, I do think that there probably is still a few questions of is this the best recruiting job that a coaching staff could do at Virginia Tech? But at the same time, I mean, it's it's not like it's really been a glaring issue either. So something to keep in mind. And the one thing I'll mention before wrapping up here is that the the questions about Fuente's ability to recruit hasn't been in the classes he's recruited to date that are on campus. It's surrounding the 2020 class, which doesn't look very good heading into next year. Some of that you'll you'll hear spin because it's a numbers thing and it's not going to be a big class anyway, but they just haven't recruited 2020 very well, which... 
look, if they have a down 2019 after what happened last year when they had their worst record since 1992 and you have a, a down 2019 season and then you don't recruit well in 2020, the fan base is not going to enjoy that. They will certainly rip that, and they already have started on social media. So keep an eye on that one um, as the season develops. It is something I've been thinking about lately, though, and not not specifically with Virginia Tech, but we, we've talked a little bit about how 2016, the first year that we did this podcast, the ACC was pretty clearly the best conference, in, the best conference in the country, if not very, very close second, right? I mean, and, I mean that was the year that you had um, Clemson goes and wins the national title with Deshaun Watson. You had Pittsburgh running up and down the field under the direction of Matt Canada. You had, again, a 10-win Virginia Tech team in, in Justin Fuente's first year. Nine-win Georgia Tech team that beat a whole bunch of SEC teams. I mean, there was—I mean, there was a bunch, a bunch of, of uh, production in the conference, and it was—it was an exciting time. And then, like in the immediate aftermath, it seems like things have pretty quickly kind of fallen apart from a depth standpoint. I mean, we're sitting here talking about Clemson, like hypothetically, where's the loss on the schedule? As if there's just no one that even could hold a candle to them. And like that's a that's really quick for that to happen, and I, I don't know exactly what that is, but I'd have to think that some of it does come down to how are, are we recruiting across the conference, right? You know, I look at the the rivals' top recruiting rankings of last year. You had Clemson at number nine nationally. You had Notre Dame, if we're counting them, at number fourteen. You had Florida State number eighteen, uh, Virginia Tech at twenty five, and NC State at twenty eight. So you had like a, you know, only kind of a handful of ACC programs, and that's if you include Notre Dame, in the top 30 nationally recruiting. Yeah, so I think it speaks to Clemson's ability, obviously, to continue improving their recruiting under Dabo Swinney. And then in addition to that, a lot of teams falling off. Plus, you had all the turnover across the conference over the last few years. I mean, we're just talking about Justin mm-hmm. Fuente. There's a guy in Charlottesville named Bronco Mendenhall who's got Virginia on uptick after a successful 2018 season. And He's a guy who came in and Joey and I, you know, Joey and I were very skeptical of that hire initially, and it looks like it's working out pretty well. There's just been a lot of turnover across the conference. You point to Miami, Mark Rick is now gone. Florida State obviously going from Jimbo to Willie Taggart. Louisville going from uh, what was a very ugly second stint for Bobby Petrino and now moving on to Scott Satterfield. North Carolina from Fedora to Mac Brown. I mean, the turnover has not helped either. And there's been a lot of that across the conference. And as a result, I think recruiting has suffered. Meanwhile, Clemson has won a couple of national championships in the last few years. And they, they've continued to get stronger and stronger on the recruiting trail and invest more and more resources in their football program, as is the case when you win national titles. So it's a combination of a lot of things, but the recruiting has a big, uh, big part of it. Mike, I'm about to blow your mind with this transition. Go. Uh, one of the things that you could probably say that is is probably not helping or, or would help with the recruiting in the ACC is making sure that everybody has enough resources, right? Has, has got enough money to get that job done, hire the, the support staff that they want, improve their facilities as necessary, and on and on and on. And one of the things that will really help the conference to gain some of that revenue is the ACC network, which launches on August 22nd, Mike, which is a little under 16 days away as we sit here recording. You like that transition? That was nice. I thought. I did. I liked it. I was proud of nice. myself. Uh, ACC Network launching in just under 16 days. We sit here recording this uh, as this podcast launch, launches. It will be uh, a lot closer than that. And as we sit here talking, Mike, you and I both uh, can be in agreement that in our current 
internet and cable plans at home, we do not have the ACC network uh, planned to show up just yet. We do not. And as you mentioned, we're 16 days away and it's going to be even sooner than that by the time this podcast drops. And I'm getting a little bit nervous. I know how TV deals Mm -hmm. work. I know that these usually go to the 11th hour. I understand all that. I know that there's a pretty substantial chance that I will be uh, able to watch the ACC network once the season kicks off. But I am a little bit nervous about Joey as a Comcast uh, rights owner and a guy who pays a bill to them monthly. I'm not afraid to say I'm a little bit concerned about that. I'm hoping that the ACC network and or it's really ESPN, ESPN and Comcast get on the horse here and uh, work something out because I got to watch these ACC games and would rather not do it illegally. Yeah, same. I And by the way, same on Comcast. I, yeah. You know, that's what I use and no dice so far. Um, yeah. And, and honestly, if you are watching, uh, watching this, yeah, if you're watching this podcast right now, oh, which yeah. you're not, Big podcast. Uh, if you're listening, yeah, if you're listening to this here podcast, uh, chances are, if especially if you have not cut the cord yet, you also do not have access to the ACC network. Uh, current ACC network providers primarily here, uh, DirecTV, Hulu, PlayStation View, YouTube TV, and Fios by Verizon, and also something called Optimum. I've never heard of that. Is that like a northeastern thing? I don't know. Uh, it's East Coast for sure. Um, hmm. Not in my area in D.C. anyway. But uh, it would be like John Swafford and the ACC just with on something they could bring in a lot of money. That Imagine that. I, I was going to say, that would just be a, a completely shocking development. Blow like, my mind. Um, hey, at least we're not the Pac-12. Um, I So I think it begs the question here, Mike, as we sit here about two weeks away from the network launching, and that launches on uh, October, or October, my gosh, August 22nd. Uh, and by the way, that's Thursday, August 22nd, before Saturday, August 24th, which is, of course, the Miami-Florida game that kicks off the season. That game will be on ESPN, so you don't need the ACC Network to watch that. But just to kind of put it in perspective of how close we're getting to the season, Georgia Tech and Clemson, ACC Network, Thursday, August 29th. Yep. So this this network will be live for one week, and then they will be uh, airing live a football game on the network. And your cable provider may or may not be providing it by that point. So let me ask you this, Mike, on a scale of 1 to 10, where should my panic meter be right now as we record this that I will not be able to watch those games from the comfort of my own home and will have to go to a bar or have the really uncomfortable conversation with my wife about cutting the cord? I'd say about a six. And it should be, I guess in theory, it should be worse than that because we're only a couple weeks away from the official launch and about three weeks away, a little over three weeks away from game one, I guess, on the ACC network. But we're in a position now where we're kind of coming down to the wire, which as you know, for these television deals is essentially prime time. This is where the deals actually happen. So I mean, each day that passes kind of raises the antenna a little bit more and makes me wonder whether or not I'm going to be able to watch some of these ACC games that nobody cares about uh, nationally this year, but we care about as a podcast. We like to see all these games so we can provide you the best content possible. So I'd say about a five or a six. And I think if we wait another week, it'll be like a six or a seven. And I think if we get inside one week, it'll be a seven, eight, maybe nine if they don't get the deal done. But they'd be stupid not to. They're going to leave a lot of money on the table. A lot of viewers aren't going to be able to see it. Um, it's it's got to work out for both sides. Or There's a ton of reasons to try and make this work. 
So it'll be really interesting to see how it all plays out. But as we sit here in the first week of August, it is not looking very good. I would put my panic meter probably a little bit lower. I was going to say maybe like a four or a five. But I think that as you as you mentioned, I mean, the closer that we get, the the quicker it's going to go go up, right? Um, this is I, I I will be a little bit surprised if we get. Let's see what we want to say. I'd say if we get to the point where we are a week away and we have not heard anything, um, a week I'll, I'll say a week away from the Florida Miami game. So that puts us Thursday, August fifteenth. I will be surprised if we haven't heard anything by then about a couple of major providers picking it up. Yep. Right. Right. But you never know. And I, I've seen some, what I'll call analysis. It was on Twitter. So take that with a grain of salt, but some quote analysis talking about TV contracts and some of these providers, what they've got with Disney and being only about a year from uh, those contracts being up and they may just elect not to uh, update those contracts early, you know, so on and so forth. Um, so keep that in mind that, you know, there's, there's a that. chance. Don't love that. Yeah, not at all. Um, the good news is that, again, there are some streaming platforms that are available basically everywhere that uh, you should be able to get this on if, at, at the absolute worst. Uh, you know, you know, or just cancel your cable program and, and tell them it's because you didn't get the ACC network. Could be either way. And away we go. That's it. Um, all right, Mike. We'll, we'll, by the way, if you uh, if you want to let your cable provider know that you're very angry that you do not yet project to have access to the ACC network, I'd highly recommend doing that. And you can do that at getaccn.com. Um, you know, recommended. Recommended. Yep. Mike, we've got a, a couple of listener emails that have come in that we need to address. Um, if you're ready to move on to that. Let's do it. All right. Uh, first one came in uh, very recently from our good friend Scott Savino. Uh, says, hey, guys, Scott here. Love the podcast, but there's one issue that's driving me up a bleeping wall. For the love of God, please do something about the amount of mouse clicks that are audible. The Syracuse pod, it was especially prominent, maybe due to Mike's audio issues, so I get it. Damn, Mike, taking shots. Uh, maybe do that. <laughs> people do that. Maybe try and use a touchpad instead of a mouse if that many clicks are needed. I don't know. Thanks, fam. Go ACC. Uh, Scott, to you I say. Big click guy. Yeah, deal with it, Scott. <laughs> uh, no, on the real note. Full, 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 full disclosure, Scott is my uh, soon-to-be brother-in-law. Attaboy. Marrying my, marrying my younger sister. Attaboy. And uh, huge fan of the podcast, which is... We like those people. Love you, Scott. Thank you for putting up with our antics. Um, yeah, on the real though, that is a uh, that is a bug, not a feature. So uh, we're working on that. As as with all things, all the time. Um, I've got one idea in mind that's not cheap. It would be a rather expensive solution, but it could happen. You never know. Um, all right, and then we've got a, a pair of emails from Mr. Keith Derrick and Mr. Shane Del Solar. Uh, they ask kind of some similar questions here. Um, and I guess, okay, let's just put it this way. Um, Keith Derrick emails us saying, congrats on making it to your fourth season, guys. I can't wait to hear about Mike's liver problems from 20 years from now, pending the right. show is still on. It won't take that long, Keith. Uh, however, I think you guys are holding out on us. I need to know when the Bowling Green Falcons are going to have their own dedicated show. I believe we will still need a notorious BVG update at the end of every show. Great show, guys. Came Underwood sucks. Go Tech, the real tech, Georgia Tech. 
Wow, a shot at Cam Underwood. Bowling Green, Joey, opens yeah. the season at home against Morgan State on August 29th. Do you think they win that game? Oh, uh, w- wait. I've been looking at a U.S. map for a while, and I've not yet found the state of Morgan, Mike. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> they can probably win that one then. Is that like a Canadian team? Big, big time, big time Maryland school, Joey. <laughs> okay, and then, by the way, Shane, Shane Dussel or hey, Coach Weaver and Mike, that's high praise, Shane. Where is my Bowling Green preview? Are you guys still the official Bowling Green podcast? Thanks, Shane. Um, okay, so here's what we're going to do. You guys asked for it. You're going to get it. You're going to get a Bowling Green football preview for 2019. Before we do, I want to make sure that we are very clear. If you're new to the podcast and you're sitting here listening to us saying, what on God's green earth are these guys talking about? This is an ACC podcast. Why, you know, Bowling Green has not joined the ACC. What are we doing? Just a little bit of, uh, I guess, kind of let you let you in on the joke here. Um, if you're new to the show, one of the things that we've been doing since we've been doing this show at the end of uh, the, the week, uh, weekly recap shows is our Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award. Brian Van Gorder, of course, former defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, former defensive coordinator at uh, Louisville, and on and on and on. Known for some very uh, questionable performances. He sucks. Um, he, yeah, he, he kind of sucks. Um, he is now at Bowling Green, where he serves as defensive coordinator under head coach Scott Loeffler. Scott Loeffler, of course, former offensive coordinator from Boston College and Virginia Tech, among other you know, well-renowned programs. He also sucks. Nobody really knows why they hired either of those guys. And somehow to fix their program, Bowling Green thought it's smart to hire Scott Loeffler, who then hired Brian Van Gorder, which then by far makes them the most ACC MAC team out there and, and a team that we just, we cannot help but keep some tabs on. And so, Mike, without further ado, 2019 Bowling Green preview here we go. Scott Loeffler starts his first year as head coach of the Bowling Green Falcons. He brings in a, a well-renowned staff with him that will certainly be able to fix everybody's problems. Um, big news there is that they get uh, their primary quarterback back. That's Jarrett Doge. Doge, if baby. If that sounds like a meme to you, <laughs> it's done to me too. Jarrett Doge is – yeah, he uh, – 62% of his passes, 2,600 yards, 27 touchdowns, 12 picks. That's really good, right? That's good quarterback play. So Bowling Green should be a pretty good team, right? Big Doge guy. <laughs> they bring back uh, most of their primary running backs here, Andrew Clare, Rico Fry. And by the way, I'm just reading down the CFB stats page. I'm not actually checking to see if they're on a depth chart or anything. So take this with a grain of salt. Um, this team last year, Mike, had a, a whopping nine rushing touchdowns. Uh Two of those came from your boy, Jared Doge. Uh, five of them from Andrew Clare. He, he is back, I, I think, I assume. I, he, he might have transferred someone. Who knows? Um, here's the problem, Mike, on offense. Uh, two of your top four receivers are gone, and your top tight end is gone. Joe, so, Joey, do you want the good news or yep. the bad news? Uh, hit me with the good news. The good news is that they did not finish last in the MAC in rushing. How the hell did that happen? They were like an air raid team. Now, do you want the bad news? Yes. They were still 118th nationally on the ground. Woof. Woof city, 116.6 yards per game, Joey. That That's not that many. Not great. Um, not great. Not great. Um, so, yeah, losing a lot of your passing game, kind of getting some of the run game back. I'm going to assume that, like, two offensive linemen left because I'm going to go with, like, that's like an average uh, average number for a team to lose. So that looks about losing right. two offensive linemen, yeah, sure. Um, defensively, Mike. Um, 
noted artist Brian Van Gorder is going to have a uh, a blank canvas to work with. We'll say, um, losing a lot. Yes, and that's probably a good thing, Joey. Because oh, and by the way, you were asking who was last place in the Mac and rushing yards. Um, mm-hmm. That would be Akron. 95.3 yards per game. That was 126th nationally. Joey. Dude, Mike, run the dang ball. Joey, got a question for you. How many teams are in the FBS? 130. That is correct. Does that still include Idaho? That still includes Idaho, I believe. We'll have to double check that. Fact check guy. Um, <laughs> all right, back to defense. You mentioned that they're losing almost everything, and that's probably a good thing, Joey, because they were 125th nationally in scoring defense. They gave up 40 points per game a year ago. They were mm-hmm. 128th nationally in rushing defense, 280 and a half yards per game, and they were 106th nationally in total defense, 448.1 yards per game, Joey. They are not good on defense, but good news. Brian Van Gorder's back. Yeah, you, you brought in uh, the Back notorious BBG. Life. He'll fix your defense. He will fix your defense. Nowhere to go. Um, He's really bad. Yeah. Nowhere to go but up. Oof, Mike. Would you would you believe? And this is this is the crazy thing, right? Is that as as just unbelievably terrible as Bowling Green was last year? The coaches that preceded Mike Jinks, who just got fired and replaced by Scott Loeffler. Do you remember who the last two coaches at Bowling Green were before that? Tell me, Joey. It was our very own Dave Clawson and our very own Dino Babers. Two very good those coaches. Those guys were Yeah, those guys were hired because they were really good football coaches because they ran a really good program at Bowling Green and now all of a sudden it fell off a cliff and they're a kind of a, uh, a a our beloved trash pile, we'll say. Our beloved trash pile. Yes, and Joey, one thing I wanted to mention that just came across a stat that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um I mentioned all those really poor defensive statistics for Bowling Green. Mm-hmm. They were sixth nationally in passing defense. That wait, like in the in the in the country. what in the MAC division nation they were, or they were, they were third in the MAC, sixth in the country. That can't be right. One hundred and sixty-seven point six yards per game through the air defensively. Oh, that is for sure going to get worse with Brian Van Gorder. If you saw his most recent iteration at Louisville and if you saw you know, anything about the back half of his Notre Dame uh, tenure, it was not very good. And you know why they gave up so few passing yards, right? <laughs> Could it be because the rushing defense was totally atrocious? Because they were so busy giving up rushing yards and nobody ever needed to throw the ball. That is correct. It's all making sense now. Uh, yeah. Home against Morgan State at Kansas State. Home against Louisiana Tech at Kent State at Notre Dame, LMAO. Home against Toledo. Home against Central Michigan at Western Michigan. Home against Akron at Miami of Ohio. Home against Ohio at Buffalo. Um, weirdly, most of those games are on Saturdays. There's only two on like weird weeknights, even though they're in the MAC. Um, Miami and, and uh, Ohio are both weeknight games. They were late in November. So. Mike, that being said, uh, you got a record prediction on Bowling Green this year? Saturdays are for the Falcons, Joey. I mean, in my house, Sundays are for the Falcons. But, <laughs> oh, you there know. it is. Um, how about that for a <laughs> They probably shouldn't be. They probably shouldn't be, but, you know, how about I, that? I can't. I, I don't choose who I root for. How about that for a transition? Before I give a record prediction, what do you think, <laughs> the, spread, what do you think the spread will be in that Notre Dame game in South Bend on October 5th? Might be off the board. Might be off the board. Wow. I don't know. <laughs> um, 
No. Uh, uh, oof. I mean, the thing about at least Mike Jinks like, was running a program that could kind of score some points sometimes. This, I don't know how they're going to keep up with Notre Dame on either side of the ball. Uh, by the way, S&P Plus gives them a 1% chance to win that game. That's probably too much. That's probably like a rounding thing yeah. that they got. Yeah. Uh, they're projected a 41-point underdog to Notre Dame. I was, so. was going to say 35, so 41 seems within the margin of error in my uh, – I think my answer here is 38. It's going to be ugly. 38-point favorite Notre Dame. Can't be, can't be too bad, right? No, you know, yeah, he'll be they might cover that. All right, record prediction. They were 3-9 and nine last year, 2-6 and six in the MAC. Are they better or worse this year? Mm, going to go worse. Yeah, me too. I think they're worse, especially defensively. They were that bad, and they had that many seniors playing, and now all the seniors are gone, and you've got the notorious BBG. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. It's going to be bad. It is going to be bad. Um, and by the way, I'm going to use some mouse clicks here to find where I can find their win total. Shout out, Scott. Shout out, Scott. Uh, Bowling Green win total on the season in Vegas is one and three. Oh, higher than I thought. And the under is plus one thirty. The over is minus one fifty. I might take. I might take the under. How the hell are you taking over three with minus one fifty juice? <laughs> For Bowling Green that won three last year and should be even more trash this year. Bring in, in my in my humble opinion, two of the worst coaches in college football. For real. Uh, woof. There's only like three games on the schedule that they even have a projected, what, 30? The fourth best chance they have to win a game per S&P Plus, Mike, is the Kent State game where they have a 32% chance of winning. Jesus. Against Kent State. They will – Yeah. They will be a substantial underdog in every game except for three. And those would be, so, let's, here, let's ballpark it. It would be what? Akron? Whoa. Yes. Um, Morgan State? Yes. That's the free square. And Central Michigan? Yeah. Three for three. Wow, I'm impressed. That's real good. Uh, yeah, you got a 57% chance of beating Akron at home. And a fifty-four percent chance of beating Central Michigan at home. By the way, those those two teams plus Bowling Green are combined one twenty-two, one twenty-three, and one twenty-four projected S and P plus. So not good. Don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. Yeah. Um, and as could be expected, picked to finish last in the MAC East division, the Bowling Green Falcons. Uh, that that was the uh, that was the media. That was not us. So, uh, you know, remember when they were relevant? When they had like good coaches? Yeah, that's the craziest thing. That wasn't that long ago. Dino Babers got hired at Syracuse after the 2015 season. Like, he was the coach there right before we started this podcast. Flip City. And they were good. Yeah, totally just completely fell off the cliff here. Um, so They were, uh, Joey, they were part of my uh, Tuesday night matching, you know? For better or worse, yeah. yeah. I don't know how that uh, matching's going to look there in late November, but you know, at that point, at that point, you're a little college footballed out. If you if you did that like in September or something, you might actually watch when you're still like kind of starved and trying to uh, trying to recover from the off season. I don't know. I might watch it. Maybe. Maybe. Probably not going to watch Probably it. Probably not. Probably not going to watch it. Is that enough on Bowling Green, Mike? Probably. Um, we're like five minutes <laughs> too long on Bowling Green. That was. Uh... Probably mm-hmm. more impressive than some of our podcasts we've done with the uh, previews of the mm-hmm. conference teams. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll leave that for the listeners to decide. So just remember, everybody, we are the Internet's number one Bowling Green football podcast. Uh, shout out to that one time that we actually got tagged on Twitter by – some Bowling Green happening. I think somebody committed to Bowling Green or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and we got fucking tagged. Yeah, we we got tagged. Uh, uh, language, Mike. Tagged. Language. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we are going to retain that title as the internet's number one Bowling Green uh, football podcast. Uh, maybe we'll check in with our good friends Scott Loeffler and uh, Brian Van Gorder here sometime soon, and just just see how stuff's going there. Um, hiring the uh, two of college football's most failing upward type of people. I, I don't know how this all works. Yep. All right. Uh, Mike, I think, I don't know. I don't think, I think we're running plenty of time here. Uh, you got anything else? I think we're good. I think so. We could come up with some other nonsense, but I think we've, uh, we've hit a couple of the items we really need to hit. So thank you once again, by the way, to uh, Scott Savino, Keith Derrick and Shane Del Solar for sending your questions in. Um, really appreciate the, uh, the interaction there. Please always feel free to hit us up. Oh, by the way, Shane had one more question in there, Mike. Real quickly, real quick. Yep. Let's do it. Favorite craft beer? Oh, man. Is there a good beer in your area? Oh, there's there's pretty good beer in my area. That's good. Yeah, there is. That's good. Um, what have you been drinking tonight? Can, I'm drinking uh, It's Cisco Brewers. It's San Katie, Nantucket, Whale's Tail, Pale Ale. So that's uh, a, mouthful. That's a mouthful. Yeah. Mouthful. Uh, it's pretty good. Um craft beer in my area there is a brewery called two silos it's about 15 minutes from my parents house and they have a cream ale and a raspberry cream ale that is quite good hmm. so big fan of that good to know i think you and i fall on opposite ends of the beer spectrum um uh, yeah so for those unaware i am in houston uh, mike is actually kind of in the the dmv area um so much much closer to where uh, a lot of the fan base probably is but i'm in houston um there's a lot of really dark beers down here that I really like. Um, Brash Brewing does a great job here in Houston. Um, Sigma Brewing does a great job. Um, the Carbach Breweries down here, they, they do some really good stuff. I like them. Um, there's, there's plenty of stuff down here. Highly recommend it. It's, it's a really good beer city if you ever want to come uh, come tour. Really, really, people just need something to do inside down here because it is so damn hot and muggy all the damn time. So uh, if you come down here, would not really recommend looking into a whole lot of outdoorsy activities. You're just going to want to go find some air conditioning. Um, in Atlanta, I, I will say that I uh, I am really, really sad that I, I've uh, not been able to get a whole lot of Monday Night Brewing beer down here in Houston. Uh, Monday Night Brewing in Atlanta, I think, is, is brilliant. It's one of my favorites um, anywhere. So uh, if you're in Atlanta listening to this and you got to go to, like, the Taiwan on anniversary celebration this past weekend or, you know, whatever, like, you're lucky. I, I am jealous very jelly um but yeah I'm, I'm very much into the uh darker barrel age stouts porters sticky high gravity stuff like that so that kind of stuff and then like just like ipas american pale ales hazy ipas that's typically where uh, where i'm looking sometimes if i'm feeling really saucy i'll, I'll drink like a half a bison or something like that but oh yeah. man so whatever gets you drunker quicker which yeah that's probably, yeah, that's probably a good way of putting it. <laughs> okay. I can get behind that. My parents do not understand it. My dad in particular, he's been like a Miller Lite drinker his whole life. And every time I get him to taste something, he's like, that doesn't even taste like beer. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point, dad. It yeah, doesn't taste like beer. Dad is, my dad's very much anti-IPA, which I'm very pro-IPA. So mm-hmm. we have to uh, have a duel. Yeah. 
But don't get me wrong, I, I will still gladly drink like a Mick Ultra or whatever I'm out playing softball or trying to trying to beat, beat the heat. So, I mean, some some beer is better than no beer. So that's correct. I, I am uh, I'm not not that much of a snob, we'll say. But correct. In any case, Mike, that's all I got. I think we're good. You want to get out of here and finish our team previews? Yeah, let's do it, man. All right. Well, until next time, you guys can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel CFB, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Once again, you can follow in the steps of Shane Del Solar and Keith Derrick and Scott Savino and send us an email with your questions, your comments, your concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Yes, sir. And you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, wherever uh, fine podcasts are sold for free. Uh, and Mike, you want to tell me where they can find us on social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference, rate, review, find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Hell yeah, go do that, go do that. Uh, Mike, I think that's all I got. You want to come back and finish our team previews? I think we're good. We're almost there. have a few more left as we sit here and record this. So we almost, yeah, We're almost there. We've almost made it. Um, it's really just like a scheduling thing at this point. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, for that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon, and until next time, Go ACC.